Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Uh, Q, <laughs> I don't really have any specific conversation <laughs> topics. What have you been playing recently? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you what I've been playing. I uh, I started in on the, the pieces of the Master Chief collection I had never played um, and games that people tell me are specifically really great. Uh Halo Reach, uh, I'm in the middle of, and Halo ODST, I've got uh, next on the docket. But yeah, these are two two Halo games that I feel like I don't know anything about. Um, I'm kind of enjoying Reach so far. It's it's so strange to go back to like older Halo controls that just feel hmm. so different than every shooter now. I, I guess you must be on console because you're a Mac person. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm playing it on. Well, I've got a PC, uh, gaming PC as well. I've got it downloaded there, but okay. I don't know if the save transfers. I haven't tried that yet. Yeah, I'm not sure. I should probably should probably know that. It might not though, because I know that like we're kind of rolling out the PC versions. And the Xbox versions have already been out for many years, so yeah, I'm yeah, I'm even not, wondering. Not sure, Master Chief Collection is pretty decent about letting you just like even if you haven't beaten the game, they're like what whatever start at whatever mission you want, basically. So hmm. it's probably not that big of a deal. That's cool. I remember I played through Halo Reach in one sitting, and this wasn't like a midnight yeah. launch. Got it home, couldn't wait to start playing. Like I've never really been a big Halo fan. Uh, but, uh, in college, one of my, uh, one of my roommates, friends, my friend as well, but, you know, kind of primarily known through the roommate, uh, came over and, you know, had it, uh, still relatively new. He was playing through it for the first time and decided to do a co-op run. And it was one of those where it's like, well, we played a couple levels and, you know, always kind of like looked over like, that oh, was pretty fun, wasn't it? But then he just was like, cool. And just kept like, uh, you know, thumbing through the menus and kept going. It's like, yeah. okay, I feel like I've kind of had enough, but like, I don't want to jump out because, you know, we're doing co-op and, um, you know, and I'm, I'm a, a very non-confrontational person. If, you know, if I've had enough Halo for the evening, I'm not going to be the one to ruin the party for somebody else who's still <laughs> obviously having a good time. But, uh, you know, ultimately we, we ended up getting through the entire game in that one sitting. Wow. And uh, ultimately I'm glad that we did. I think it was, a uh, um, I think we had a good time and also I don't think I would have finished it on my own if it wasn't, you know, with somebody else to sit there and, um, do it all together. So, uh, yeah, I think all in all it worked out pretty nicely. <laughs> so that's cool. I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm kind of in a similar space of like, every time I've played a Halo, I'm generally having a pleasantish experience. Um, uh, nothing that I'm like just totally floored by, uh, you know, it's a, it's a first person shooter on a console. Um, and, and probably listeners know at this point that when it comes to online competitive multiplayer, I stay about a thousand uh, miles away from any section like that of a game. So I'm literally just trying to engage with these games on their story, uh, or, or even just like their set pieces in a way and seeing what they, they do. Mm -hmm. But you're touching upon this thing that I know exactly where you're coming from. Maybe people listening felt the same way, but it's this unspoken 
co-op gamer pact right where if one person is like pushing forward and building the momentum it it almost feels impolite to be the one to say i just can't anymore yeah right (laughs) i i guess before we get into the video game pitches i should also mention that uh kind of the ultimate playwright game um which has been a favorite for probably a uh a decade or so uh, just came out on steam for free you can pick up frog fractions finally it is unleashed from its <laughs> online flash prison <laughs> no uh, that flash is going away no flash plug-in required no yeah it's a uh, uh yeah entirely free to download no reason not to it also has a piece of hat dlc which uh I guess I originally read as kind of like a nice way to throw a tip to the developer, you know, for putting out a free game. And, you know, it's, it's one that I've gotten a lot of enjoyment and, and thought out of over the last, you know, decade. Um, so I, I wouldn't have a problem with uh, throwing a few dollars his way, but um, apparently I have not tried this yet. I, I played through the game relatively vanilla uh, on steam, but I've not tried it with the hat DLC. Apparently it changes it substantially to the degree that it can be considered another sequel to Frog Fractions. You, so you uh, might say it's game changing. I'll stop myself. It is. It is literally <laughs> changing the game. They say that the Hat DLC is actually Frog Fractions Three. So uh, Frog Fractions Two was famously hidden inside of another game, which is a beautiful way to distribute a piece of software. (laughs) Um, You had to do something very specific in another game to basically unlock Frog Fractions 2 to play, Um, which is great. But uh, yeah, it's it's worth looking into. So anyways, if you've not played Frog Fractions already, there's, I think there's even a Kane and Rinse issue about Frog Fractions. Um, The game is free to download on Steam. You will not regret it. Anyways, let's get into some video game pitches. I believe you're going first today. So my pitch this week is actually maybe more of a, a open, open-ended scenario that I think is kind of interesting to explore. Uh, I I've been thinking a lot about Naughty Dog and how they've kind of come to The Last of Us Part Two, and you know, from what I hear, maybe there's a Part Three brewing in there somewhere, but. You know, if Naughty Dog was were to do something that wasn't The Last of Us uh, and wasn't uh, Uncharted, what would I give them to do? And I was kind of thinking about Red Dead Redemption 2 and how that has some, you know, historical truth in there. I was wondering, uh, and <laughs> this might be uh, something that we'll be delicate with, but I was wondering what would it look like if Naughty Dog tried to tackle a historical dramatization of a long-form adventure as an actual game about the Underground Railroad. Interesting. We'll go ahead and start the clock there. I guess we could start with what it was, if people don't know. Hmm. So if it, for especially for non-Americans, uh, the Underground Railroad was kind of this network or a bunch of sort of secret routes and paths that sprawled all across um, the sort of northern part uh, of America around the line where the north and the south met, um, where slaves who were trying to escape uh, captivity or enslavement 
uh, were going and using these routes and the people who were operating these routes to sort of make their way to the north, a place where they would be, um, have the potential at freedom. All right. Yes, I I love this idea. I'm always a bit uh, a bit wary of any time that we try to kind of add uh, mechanical, yeah. you know, game mechanics to moments of uh, civil rights and and um, you know, kind of human uh, tragedies and things that have happened in the past. Um, you know, like I, I know that uh, uh, there have been games that have been. Uh, kind of focused on the Holocaust uh, tragedy. There's been um, a game about the Caribbean uh, slave trade, um, Assassin's mm. Creed. What was it? Uh, the expansion, the Black Flag. I'm not remembering the name now. But you, 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 you played an assassin who was, you know, kind of primarily interested in freeing slaves around this uh, Caribbean area, and. Um, and, you know, I just remember a lot of kind of like think pieces coming out after that game uh, came out that like how it handles said it that. Yeah. That even though, you know, obviously you're kind of like playing the right side of history, it's still, you know, it's still kind of like belittling the or or it's kind of treating the slaves like mechanical numbers, like, uh, mm, you know, like like right. flags that you would be collecting or money that you would be collecting, which is essentially the same thing that the. Uh, slave owners would have been doing at the time is, you know, treating them as kind of an ends to, or a means to an end rather than as people in and of themselves. And so, you know, how do you balance? And I think, you know, the Naughty Dog, Naughty Dog formula is probably really well equipped to handle this in that, you know, it's not, those aren't games about collection. They're personal stories about survival. Um, so uh, yeah, no, I think this is uh, worth exploring. Well, one of the things I, you know, as I, and you can go to the, as, as we talk about this, I invite you to open up just the Wikipedia entry, right? For the Underground Railroad listeners and kind of start uh, scanning it because some of the things I, I thought about is like, let's take the role of maybe, uh, you know, a family, a woman, her child, maybe she has a couple children, uh, who are trying to navigate this railroad. Like Naughty Dog has, has made, mechanics around having a partner meaningful, but adding in an element of, you know, a child that does not understand the stakes, right? And uh, a partner who would trigger, would trigger AI, right? Would be noticed in the way that maybe uh, they, they skirt some of those things mm-hmm. for gameplay reasons in The Last of Us. I, th- I think, built, like, maybe a way to tackle talking about this is just, from the mechanic standpoint anyway, is to talk about some of the systems Naughty Dog has developed and how they could be extended or adapted to sort of recreate these sort of moments. There's just so many kind of like tricky issues with this being a historical drama uh, and wanting to be respectful of the people who actually kind of experienced it. Right. Um, you know, you don't want to imply that there is a, you know, golden path through the Underground Railroad that would, you know, necessarily lead to freedom if all the right things and all the right choices were made along the way because you know sometimes like it was a a very uphill battle right with uh many sectors of society both kind of private and public being uh kind of firmly in opposition to um these uh these people that were uh pursuing their own freedom and so you know you don't 
as as a game designer, you don't want to ever kind of like put in unwinnable situations or unbeatable scenarios. But right. um right. But yeah, at the same time it's like I mean that's also, what it, that's what it was, right? In many ways. Um Yeah, yeah. But anyways, I, I think we can I think that well, maybe not we as uh, as two white guys, but people who yeah. uh, at least have an interest in exploring something like this and leaving the or, or you know kind of putting the the storytelling into the hands of people who are more kind of like culturally equipped to uh, to do something like this. We're just kind of exploring around the edges mechanically. Yeah, I, I'm, what I think about sort of what you're talking about about the happy path, or right the the when you look at the map of the Underground Railroad, it's clear that there are, like, if you thought of it almost like a a video game-esque map, it is not a straightforward line, right? And so there would be potentially using some of what they built upon with Uncharted 4. I haven't played Last of Us 2 yet, but the the idea of making these key decisions that determine exactly what what fork in the road you're going to take at different intersections and actually creating a re a super replayable naughty dog style narrative where not to say that there will be a best choices path but the actual people that you meet and the you know naughty dog has proven adept at being able to introduce a character and um at least attempt to get you invested in them very quickly so maybe who you're meeting and who you uh who you have to work with and who you lose along the way is um, all the th- all the sort of variables in play. Yeah, but I mean, of course, you know, Naughty Dog needs to would have to hire a great, great team of black designers and writers and stuff to tackle some of this subject matter because it's it's really not just a not just an American story. It is very much a black story to tell. I think that uh, the Last of Us two uh and last of us one as well you know you are being pursued by monsters and the kind of degraded state of society is a hindrance to you being able to kind of effectively fight back and that's where the tension comes from you know it's like you Mm -hmm. are in a broken world trying to fight monsters who you know under normal circumstances might not be a tremendous threat if the infrastructure was still in place if the i mean if the damn lights worked half the time yeah. uh, <laughs> these these zombies wouldn't be as big of a problem uh in in this particular scenario it's kind of the opposite where the individual humans that you would encounter along the way the uh the other kind of you know the human threats that would be getting in your way are hindrances but they're um you know obviously they're performing kind of monstrous actions but they're you know circumventing one of them does not make your challenge or your uh your journey any less challenging because ultimately the monster is society at large and a lot of the kind of ideas and cultural concepts that it's grown to accept and that's something that's not so easy to uh to tackle and so there might be more incentive to be stealthy rather than violent in this game because you know if you are um you know if you clear a room of enemies by you know killing them in the way that you would in the last of us then potentially the negative effects of that with a society that is both still 
very much intact and specifically prejudiced against you, um, the consequences of that would be something that would pursue your characters and would be a much greater threat than India, any of the individual actors, uh, kind of due to the, you know, the prejudice and the kind of law of, of the time. Yeah. The state Uh, of affairs. I mean, like the, I just keep thinking about like with, with knowing, uh, you know, a lot of what people talk about with the last of us two is just how dialed up the violence is. I think, you know, this is, I think, I think in the last couple naughty dog games or maybe in all the naughty dog games, and I think about it, violence is something perpetrated by the antagonists and by the protagonists. And, um, violence is a consequence of like, quote, bad people. And so for them to tell a story about actually a a little less gray morality on the part of the protagonist here, this family who maybe there's, you know, I, I would love to see a naughty dog game that, uh, leaves the verb shoot completely off the table. Um, and to see what they could do with, uh, you know, the idea of maybe it's that they have to lean into stealth. Maybe it's that they have to lean into talking and negotiation, but give these people different tools to deal with these situations. That feeling of knowing that you're talking to someone who can either, um, or potentially in contact with someone who can either save your life and your family's life or ruin it. Right. And you have to extend that trust to that person. I think having mechanics around that is, can, can potentially, uh, represent that experience in some way. We've talked a lot about how, you know, Ellie is motivated by revenge and Nathan Drake is a grape robber and a mass murderer. And yeah. it, it would be nice to have kind of like a naughty dog game where you are kind of unambiguously in the moral right. Again, <laughs> we haven't had that since what, like Crash Bandicoot Warped? Yeah, or, I guess so. Uh, Jack and Dexter won. <laughs> Um, anyways, that's all the time we have on that one. What do we want to call this underground railroad video game? You know, I think that there's, maybe there's metaphor, maybe there's something in, I think one of the, hold on, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm reading here. One of the songs. Yeah, here it is. One of the songs, uh, about the underground railroad is called song of the free. Um, Mm. and I, I think that hits the right tone. I mean, like I would, Again, like you want this thing to ultimately be a machine of creating empathy uh, and creating lived experience. It's, uh, you know, dramatized fiction to to hit an impact. So I think that that says something about the game. I like that a lot. Song of the Free. Let's move on to my pitch for the day. What I'm bringing in is a a super hot style sword fighting game. So I'm going to be brief with it and just leave it at that. Um, let's see what we make of it. I love this. And, uh, thank you for rescuing me in, in tone of this episode. Um, <laughs> the, the idea of the sword fighting game. And so like, is this when I'm swinging, uh, we we're accelerating time or is this kind of more still locomotion based? Yeah. So I'm thinking, uh, kind of like an offensing type of duel. Obviously you can move, you can dodge, you can sway, you can move your body, but any time that you move your body, you would be advancing time. Uh, And so, you know, you'd have to kind of factor in how to block incoming attacks, how to appropriately 
you know, hit your enemy without getting stabbed yourself, without leaving yourself open for attacks. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking first person, I mean, VR would be ideal. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I know that we've, uh, we've seen super hot in VR and that one in VR, even just looking around, moving your head, uh, looking behind you or to your sides to kind of get a sense of your environment does advance time as well. And so uh, I guess, you know, for people who aren't familiar with super hot, we shouldn't just make that assumption. It is a game where um, time moves so slowly, it's almost at a complete stop. You know, time does progress little by little, but it's really just trickling along um, unless you are in movement. Um, it's a first person shooter with a very minimalist aesthetic, but essentially time only moves when you do. And when you fire a gun, then time moves quite significantly. Uh, and so, you know, you got people shooting at you, you're trying to shoot at people, you're trying to kind of like dodge bullets as they're coming at you in slow motion, like the matrix or max pain. Uh, but, uh, yeah, essentially any time that you're dodging, moving your body, aiming, shooting back at somebody else, you are advancing time forward and kind of losing your advantage of, uh, a kind of the frozen, a, um, of a, a perspective outside of time. Well, I, I think this is like ripe for, I know you're talking about fencing, which I always think of as very sort of one-on-one. -on -one. There's a mat like this, this sort of non-lethal fencing, but of course, super hot, very lethal. And I'm wondering in the way that super hot can create that feeling of a bunch of people showing up into a room and, and rushing you with all these bullets whizzing past. I feel like, this uh, this Swarter Hot uh, would be uh, maybe an opportunity to to recreate actually something that I feel like most games fail to recreate, which is that feeling of the Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones esque. You're in the middle of a battlefield as a swordsman. You know, there's axes and hammers and swords all around you, and the real feeling of, especially in VR, of wow, I am an inch away from my life with this weapon that's in front of me and maybe even using uh, the accelerometer and like an Oculus controller so that you know how hard you've actually swung your sword mm -hmm. based on how hard you're sort of swinging your sword that creates not only a knockback for uh, the enemy's weapon, but for yours, right? So uh, there's sort of this recoil that you're creating with your own force and I can imagine a strong enough, uh, strong enough whack, and maybe you can get somebody to do a full 360 with their sword and potentially take out another combatant. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think something also worth mentioning is that Superhot does have swords in it, but, uh, you know, the, everything in Superhot is meant to be very disposable. You know, there's lots of, yeah. uh, weapons and ordinary objects in your environment that you can throw at enemies and, uh, they're constantly kind of like, you know, launching their guns in the air when they die that you can pick out of the air and shoot somebody else. And everything has a very kind of limited count of ammo. And it's, it's meant to feel more like kind of a John wick fight of being improvisational, um, while you go, which is, uh, which is definitely very cool. But, um, I'm wondering if it kind of, it makes you feel like you're not learning and connecting with weapons in the same way that you would if, you know, maybe there are just kind of like maybe there's just one per level or maybe maybe you do have a couple of options but the items don't break after three uses like you know i, I want something where you have to really kind of like 
read and study the opponents instead of the priority being like how many people can I actively dispatch with ultimately like very disposable weapons to keep the the chain going. That makes sense to me. So like what I'm thinking about, what I'm thinking about this sort of, let's say it's a castle siege. We're in some sort of medieval situation, uh, medieval fantasy. Um, I don't know how many castle sieges were taking place with everybody running in with swords. Maybe all of them. I don't know. But the, the idea of maybe the only weapons are the, that, that are available to you are the ones that I, I guess if you, if you took super hot, what would it feel like if we took super hot and dialed back the enemy count and up the enemy difficulty? Cause super hot is very sort of one shot, one kill in many cases, right? Or in all cases. Mm-hmm. So is there, is there a feeling of, wow, I actually have to spend time in combat with this character. And maybe that's the only way to even claim a weapon is fully defeating one of these characters taken in a Soulsian direction. Yeah, potentially. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, there's been a couple of games that um, kind of come to mind. There was the For Honor game, which is kind of difficult to categorize um, genre-wise. A lot of people call it a fighting game because it focuses a lot on what end up being kind of one-on-one duels. A lot of people kind of classified as a more kind of a broad action game in the style of like a uh, dynasty warriors type of experience because there are kind of hordes of lesser enemies that you're fighting as well or almost kind of like an uh, over-the-shoulder type of MOBA experience. Um, yeah. It ultimately comes down to like there are combat opportunities and there are ways to kind of, you know, like in a MOBA, mobilize your hero character against uh, lesser computer-controlled enemies and, and gain advantages in that way. But, uh, you know, ultimately you're kind of coming up against these more formidable opponents. Um, and that's where the real kind of meat of the combat lies. So what, are, what types of, I, I think like this also, this almost is like Metal Gear Revengeance type stuff, but I, I wonder if, because we're playing with swords here, we get into some sort of dismemberment situation or maybe the only way to, I love the, I love that stupid action trope that probably has never happened once in real life, but somebody kind of clapping their hands together to catch a sword uh, or the, uh, the heroic character that's not afraid to grab a questionable piece of a blade and get their hand all cut up doing so. So I wonder if that's like, there's a weapon claiming system of the, of that nature. Yeah, that could be cool. Uh, Kind of another aspect I would want to bring into this is Uh, as we talked about kind of a one hit kill type of system, but one that's very dependent upon like where you or the enemy is struck on the body. Um, I think about a game like Bushido blade where, you know, most of the time it is just kind of like a, you're trying to find an opening to get that one hit in that, uh, that ends your kind of opponents or drains. I mean, there isn't a life bar. It is just kind of like, like dealing with real swords, uh, you only get one shot as it were. And so, you know, a lot of the game would be kind of like trying to battle away the, the enemy's sword or, or weapon, uh, trying to deflect it with your own, or if you have a shield, depending on your loadout, uh, but, uh, trying to find that opening to get that one solid hit in, but also having to be conscious about where you strike your opponent. Maybe, maybe you do choose to, 
cut off a hand at the beginning to kind of reduce your opponent's options or, uh, you know, it would be interesting if some of the later levels would put you unarmed against an opponent with a sword and you do have to find a way to kind of like get the sword away from them that you can uh, kind of turn it back on them. Yeah. And I also like, I like the idea of um, what you're talking about being invested in the weapon. Then you could start playing with the idea of maybe there's some physics to it, but weapon weight, exactly how hard you need to swing to, to connect or to, to kind of, maybe there's a way to read the incoming swing intensity of an opponent. And you have to therefore answer with a swing of equal or more intensity. And so you almost get a, a beat saber like feeling of just how hard you need to crash into these other blades and weapons as they're being hoisted at you. That's enough time there. Let's give it a name. So many things have taken like sword and blade and stuff in the title. Okay. Well, this is a very playwright title, so I'm going to just lead with that. <laughs> Super Hilt. <laughs> I was I was trying to think of any kind of way into the super hot name and I couldn't come up with it, but I think you cracked the code there. <laughs> super like hurt. Hurt. All right. That'll do it. Um, let's go over to the community. We do have some emails today, which is very exciting. Always love receiving some of those. Thank you so much. We have one from Micah Squera who says, how about an Octodad style barber sim? And I'll start the clock there. I think we actually talked about something similar to this uh a while back talked but about kind of like a physics style haircutting game but uh didn't necessarily emphasize the clumsiness of it yeah and because something that is worth highlighting as of the day of recording uh, was just kind of posted by a twitter account that i follow called octo curio um o-c-t-o-c-u-r-i-o who does a great job of highlighting interesting indie games uh you know, always with uh, really appealing videos and, and gifts and stuff. And it's stuff that, you know, I, I try to stay pretty plugged into that community, but stuff that is often taking me by surprise. So um, they're they're good at the deep dives. Uh, but um, they posted a game called Hair Lab 2D, which is <laughs> a not meant to be a realistic haircutting game and not meant to be clumsy in the Octodad style, but has a very appealing art style. I don't even know if I could describe it it's kind of yeah it's like psychedelic yeah yeah i, I guess you could say that uh there's kind of a, a head non-natural colors for everything and uh hair that you can cut and shape into any way that you like but it's all very kind of like flowing colors and yeah the hair almost looks like fire or like a particle system or something which yeah, i guess yeah. is like how hair really is in, in many games <laughs> Yeah, but it looks very cool. I just thought it's kind of a fun uh, point of reference for uh, for this pitch. One of the things I do like about the sort of Octodad angle of this, and maybe you slap in a little hybrid Surgeon Simulator-esque uh, interaction in there too. Imagine the Octodad running a full barber shop, right? Having to give uh, straight razor shaves... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that would get us into some Sweeney, Sweeney Todd like territory. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, obviously doing the, uh, sending someone to the shampoo shampoo station where you got to kind of clean their hair out and maybe make conversation with them. I think it's a lot of the best part about the barbershop, uh, setting for me is that it's a lot of that 
good fictional conceit to have people do a lot of talking to you and you not necessarily talking to them. It's not usually the way it is when I'm getting a haircut. I, I try to stay pretty quiet. Uh, but uh, And just yeah, look disapprovingly like, at the, uh, the hairdresser. I don't know. I always just like, please don't start any small talk because I don't know if I have it in me. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm curious. You know, I think there is a certain amount of fun to be had with a haircut going wrong. Obviously, it's something that we see quite often in comedy movies, like, you know, great physical comedies like Mr. Bean or Paddington 2 or, or I guess typically British comedies, I guess, come to think of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it does seem like, I mean, you are also using razors and scissors and stuff near somebody's head and ears. And it just feels like there's a lot of opportunity for it to go uh, much more wrong than we're usually used to seeing it go wrong. So like, how do you, uh, like, do we get into, like, can you murder people? people or are we trying to keep <laughs> this pretty PG? There's only so wrong you can go with a haircut. I mean, if you end up, you know, cutting off a little bit more than you have to, like you just shave the head and they're bald and that's another acceptable hairstyle. So, you know, it's like, right. It's only so far you can go. Uh, I think, if you had a system where potentially these people, let, let's lean into the the absurdity of it. Maybe you can, you know, nick an artery every once in a while and <laughs> blood is getting all over the place, but you're always just like a, you know, a fresh towel and some pressure away from uh, closing up that problem. I think you also get into, like, the reason why I've got the surgeon simulator um, model in my head is because I, as much as like the Octodad thing is funny, I, I think Octodad is also funny because it strikes the exact right middle ground between like macro interactions like walk over here and uh, micro interactions like example yeah. from the beginning of the game, just like make a couple burgers on the grill, right? Even that level of dexterity feels like a, a challenge to a new player. So I almost wonder if you take like, hey, clean this comb and, you know, you got to get it in that blue water that I've never known what that stuff is. <laughs> but you get the you'd have to almost zoom in, right, to have that sort of octodad physics-y sort of stuff. Here's a work. here's an option. We could do kind of a quarantine haircut where you have to keep six feet of distance. And so essentially you're working with like hyperextended arms. Oh. Whether it's kind of like those those bendy arms that you get as like a toy, uh, those extendo arms or or whatever, whether your character just has long Octodad-like arms. And maybe, again, this is like a VR type of thing where you can control your arms, but it's far away and it's a little difficult to see and measure everything out. Um, and, you know, just kind of like holding, like trying to balance something on the end of a broomstick, like it's it's difficult to to control precisely in the same way that if you were to just uh, do it with your own, you know, hands right in front of you. And so, you know, it gives you that level of clumsiness. It gives you a level of kind of obscurity of vision in a way. And it, uh, and then maybe you have to kind of like reach in to grab other, you know, shavers and combs and scissors and stuff like that to give you you know some additional uh tools to use and challenges throughout and so you're just trying to give people normal haircuts it's just that you are kind of obscured by your long ass slender man type of arm 
Oh man, Slenderman running a barber shop is. I mean, he's already he's kind of already in a suit, right? That's uh, he's a he's yeah. a stately gentleman. Okay, so we're far away. Maybe I'm giving a haircut from a distance. There's got to be like maybe some. I, I like the idea of almost the, an RC car remote or something that can control the chair that the person's on electronically that you have to like keep going back to to like operate the chairs up and down and uh you know turn left turn right controls and and i think like the time adding a time pressure mechanic of so in some way could make it more of a structured game challenge i feel like octodad doesn't octodad doesn't do time does it or doesn't um i'm trying to remember if there are any timed challenges i, I think know so. there's escape sequences uh, we're trying to run away from something, but right. I don't, and I think there is kind of like a speed run mode as like a special challenge after you beat the game. Uh, but I don't think there are many, at least specifically timed challenges. Because I think for the sake of comedy, if, if you do the, you can kind of give mostly any haircut you want and, uh, you can nick people, but, uh, you know, throwing a towel on the wound is kind of good enough to stop it or, you know, you got to powder up someone's face or like brush off all the hair in their face. Like as long as the person in the chair sounds like they're being perfectly pleasant to you, I think it, it, it'll still fire of like, Oh, that's a bit more than I was expecting off the top, you know, <laughs> as you're kind of just going to town on their head with no hair left. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like if uh, it's kind of a system like the Sims where even if you mess up, they're not going to stop you from doing your job but uh, they might give you kind of a disapproving rating at the end of it. And so you're trying to, you know, get uh, as close as possible to the cut that they asked for. And I mean, you might actually learn a thing or two about uh, hair cutting in the process. Yeah, I like nice the idea. It would be nice if we had a really robust hair sim in here, but I know how difficult, like that's one of the most difficult things to do in computers. Yeah, I, I keep imagining the the very first part of this is because you have to be at a distance is like opening up a hair catalog for someone and letting them sort of gesture to the one that they want Yeah, and then kind of going from there. Yeah, all right. I think that's about enough time on that one. Give it a name. I mean, I think quarantine cuts is kind of a, fun alliteration or at least alliterative sound i don't want to use this name yet because i feel like it can be for something that we both go far deeper on but um i love the idea of having a game called mrs octodad or ms octodad just in the style of pac-man <laughs> the, the vastly superior sequel to octodad right i like that just like pac-man it's not octomom it's Miss Octodad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but quarantine cut. Uh, ooh, so, uh, if we if if the comedy conceit is that Slender Man is giving these haircuts, so we have extra long arms, we could do like slender cuts or something like that. Barber Man. Slender pull. Slender pull. Wow. It's uh, it's like the. Yeah, and we hmm. need to expect something else. I think. This is me. I don't know. <laughs> it is just you. Um. No. Uh. Man. Quarantine cuts is not bad. I'm trying to think of like super cuts or what's that other place? Sport clips. Have you seen this sport clips place? Do you have those near you? Quarantine there is that uh, kind of classic joke, the uh, hair today gone tomorrow. Hair today gone tomorrow. That's I mean, nice. Also for the, uh, the sake of formatting of titles, uh, having commas in our titles uh, does make it a little bit difficult to parse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hair today, comma. What if you did gone gone tomorrow colon hair today? 
Is that weirder? So it's just the same thing, but more difficult to... (laughs) (laughs) More difficult to say. There's got to be something here. You're going into... Have you heard... You've heard phrases like, I'm getting my ears lowered or ears raised? Ears lowered, I think it is. The ear lower. What do they say? It's like the... What if you, what if you just uh, called it something like clean and smooth? Like you're just describing a like a shave. Uh, let's see. Let, let's think about barber. I think there's there's fun to be had with that word. Because I was getting into like whisker nipper, but that sounds like a game starting a cat. What about uh, barbinger barber, of doom? Barbinger of doom. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> At least it got, it got a chuckle anyway. <laughs> I like it. I was also going to say. Barber are us, and it could be read out barbarous, but uh, <laughs> I think I think we have two funny options there. I like <laughs> well, I I, this, I might leave it option. to you to to choose choose one or insert a colon somewhere in there and, and get the... all right. We'll we'll choose wisely, and you'll see in the show notes what we went with. Anyways, thank you, Micah Squara, for sending that one in. It's always fun to do a hair related pitch. Yeah, if you would like to submit an idea of your own, and we encourage you to do so, uh, we're always eager to read video game ideas from uh, some of our listeners throughout our uh, yeah throughout the show. Um, you can do so by emailing us playwrightcast at gmail dot com. You can go to playwrightcast dot com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song "Hello World" off the album Blue Noise. Go check out the other great shows on the Kane and Rinse Network, like Kane and Rinse, The Sausage Factory, and Sound of Play. I've never heard of that show, but I assume it's good. Yeah, it's okay. It has <laughs> moments. I think every other show is pretty good. Okay. <laughs> that's a good 50%. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> Not going to tell you which 50, though. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's... I think let's I owe you. And yeah, let's end the show with a redacted video game pitch. What are you challenging me with today? Okay, here we go. You stumped me last time, so let's see how we can... Uh... <laughs> stumped you last time. If I stump you with this one, you're really going to kick yourself, by the way. Okay. All right. Conker's bed for today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wait, wait, really? You're kidding me. I didn't right, even get wait, to really? say it. Yes, I picked <laughs> Conker's Bad Fur Day for you. Holy shit. <laughs> I thought like, what would be the one game I would be most mad at myself for not getting? <laughs> well, I, that's, this is why we do this game, folks. This is magic moments right here. Well, folks, there you have it. We redacted the entire section from today's show. <laughs> shit okay let me at least read the redacted to you because okay, i want to see right, if you read right. it the I'll, day I'll surprised yeah thank you <laughs> the day after his redacted redacted sporting the worst hangover ever and he just can't seem to find his way home prepare to stagger through redacted. Okay, i would have gotten this <laughs> yeah okay fair enough i was i was thinking about redacting hangover as well sporting the worst redacted ever and he just can't seem to find his way home prepare to stagger through redacted redacted and redacted scenarios crammed full of bad manners Twisted humor and redacted. Uh, unless you're a fan of violence, redacted and redacted, you best steer clear of this one. Is the unless you're a fan of violence, are the other two things like poop and uh, British humor? <laughs> it's uh, violence, foul language, and racy innuendo. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I wow, look at this. All right, that you've got to. Now you, you've read my mind too much on that one. I'm gonna have to really. 
I'm going to have to pitch, pick something that is somewhere in between the one that stumped you and this next time. And I'll see what I can do. I think there's like a nice middle ground of video <laughs> games where it's like everyone knows that they exist. Like you can't be mad. Like, yeah. you know, something like, a, you know, San Francisco Rush. It's like, I'm not going to be mad at you for picking it because it's like, yeah, I know that game. But at the same time, it's like, it's not one I would ever think of. Yeah. I feel like I could even get into like, you know, a resident evilish territory to like yeah, also yeah. stump the audience potentially. But uh, yeah, you, I guess it's ideal when the person listening is yelling at their phone, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we're stumped. Hey, I also want to say this, like on a, you know, we, we ended on this kind of barn burner, but we've been doing this show for three plus years. I continue to be so thankful to come here week after week and, and be able to explore something that is, that has the, the, that demands the sort of depth and understanding and deference that like the pitch today, uh, had. And I know that I'm not the, you know, I'm not the progenitor of these ideas. I'm not the person who needs to shepherd them along or whatever, but I can't help but wonder and win some of those choices, seeing studios who are doing big things take on more risky stuff. And so thank you for being my partner through this and and exploring these things with me. Well, absolutely. I mean, as, as is video game tradition, of course, there is uh, zero politics in anything that we yeah, are. Right. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. We're not playing the Ubisoft card of creating <laughs> obviously political games and then claiming complete and utter neutrality. Actually, after the past couple months, one might argue that the Ubisoft card might be entirely different at this point, but we could, uh, that's knows? for another we'll, show at another, we'll uh, another time and place. But yeah. It, it is fun to, uh, uh, to come along here and at least like, I feel like even if the, you know, obviously the big game studios probably aren't listening to our podcast, taking notes and then going off and creating multimillion dollar, budget games on the backs of what we suggest but you know perhaps even just kind of like putting the little whisper in somebody's ear helps uh, foster an idea that grows into something bigger and better or maybe you know an idea that we have you know ends up kind of circulating around at conventions or something i don't know right Right. i mean even if we're just kind of putting an energy out into the world right connected an idea to a mechanic in a way that a creator was stumped and they needed just a little extra edge to to take their idea over the edge and that that'd be great yep any little contribution that we can have (laughs) to uh making video games in the world a better place we uh we're, we're happy for that but anyways until next week thank you again for listening and joining us as well on this journey we could not do this without uh without our our loyal listener base and anyone who decides to find us in the future we'll catch you again next week bye 